Don't you just love that song? I love that. As soon as as soon as we get here and they start going over it and run through, I'm just like, and so I, I have to compose myself. Anyway, super excited about everybody in the room. And we, as always, we want to welcome our online family. If we can say hello to our online family and welcome them. It's so it's so fun. I um, Normally on Sunday afternoons, I go home and I'll scroll through all the comments. And they're all nice uh, because <laughs> I've banned all the mean people already. So, that was, But they, I, we I get to engage with people online and so it's super cool. Whether you're here in the room or whether you're online, super glad you're at Second Chance. Um, summer is coming to an end. And parents are so excited about this. I, I, I know that, I mean, kids get out of school and they're so pumped and parents are like, oh God. And so um, th- th- that's why when parents hear about year-round school, you're like, yes, let's, let's just do it because I want my kid educated. But I started thinking about this in regards to when I was a kid during the summer, what did I love to do? And I, everybody's kind of different, but as a kid, I got super, super, super addicted to game shows um, in the mornings. And my favorite game show that I would watch, is probably most of you have e- either seen it or heard about it, is The Price is Right. Now, I always wanted to be on this show because I thought I could win because watching this show helped me determine the price of fabric softener and um, tie. I mean, I, I knew all the games and I wanted to spin that wheel right there. And Bob Barker was the best. Um, in fact, he wasn't just great in Price is Right. He was great in Happy Gilmore. I don't know if you saw that movie. The Price is Wrong, Bob. Anyway, so so anyway, I loved, loved, loved The Price is Right. And then game shows got more and more popular. And um, they actually started appearing on network television at night. And my favorite game show at night was Wheel of Fortune. Some of you are trying to figure out what... It's luck be in the air tonight, okay? I looked that up just to make sure, because some of y'all some of y'all have dirty minds, and you, that's why we need that G-Kid space. Anyway, Wheel of Fortune is a show that I always wanted to be on. And I wanted to be on it because I thought I could win, and I wanted to be on it because I thought Vanna White was hot. Who knew that you could be a multimillionaire just turning letters around? And now she don't even have to turn them around, she just touches them, right? But this is the show, and... And so I've always loved game shows, Family Feud or whatever, but my interest switched from game shows to reality TV several years ago when I saw Survivor for the first time. Remember that? And I thought that would be so cool to, because to, I started thinking I could, I could do that. Like I could be on that show. Like I could win. Like I could make little alliances and stuff like that. And I really, because if you won, I think the first year, I don't know what it is now, but the first year you got like a million bucks one survivor. And so I was super into that and others came along like the amazing race and big brother, whatever. But the reason I talk about this is because we were sitting, I was sitting at a group of, uh, a table with a group of people the other day. We're talking about reality shows and they said their favorite, their favorite show. And I'd never heard of, I mean, I kind of heard of it, but I didn't really know what it was. Is called Naked and Afraid. How many of you have seen this show? Yeah. Some of you are like, I don't know what it's about. Basically you go get naked um, and then you're afraid. It, it, for many of you, it was like Saturday last night. So anyway, the, what Naked and Afraid is, is, is a show where you literally like strip down buck naked. It's, it's, it's a man and a woman, and you survive in the wilderness for, is it 21 days or 24 days? I looked it up on Wikipedia. I couldn't figure this out. 
And so we were going around the table and we we're talking about, would you be on this show? Yes or no? And um, it got to me and it was an emphatic no. I mean, I'm trying to be a little bit respectful, but it was like a, a heck no. Like a <laughs> heck no, I won't go. And they were like, why wouldn't you be on the show? The potential of winning a lot of money is is huge. And I'm like, because the show is naked and afraid. And if I get naked, everybody's going to be afraid, right? Somebody said it over here for me. That wasn't necessary. But, but you see what I'm saying? I've got insecurity issues, right? I've got man boobs, and I don't want the world to see my movies. And so, like, I try to kind of cover those up. I've got Chewbacca's back, you know, the Wookiee in Star Wars. It looks like I'm wearing a sweater all the time. I used to weigh over 300 pounds. I got stretch marks all over me. I don't, I don't want the world to see that. So we were talking. I was like, I don't want to be there. No, no, no. They were, how, about, well, how about for this much money? No. How much for this much money? No, 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 no. Because I don't want to be naked and afraid because that would require uncomfortable vulnerability. That caused me to think about church culture, church world, religion. One of the biggest struggles that we have is there are people in this room here today dealing with some stuff. De- I mean, dealing with some, some stuff, some serious stuff. Not from the past, but right now. But we feel like we can't be vulnerable. We feel like we can't talk about it. Because if we actually brought it up, we wouldn't be brought in, we'd be kicked out. And so we learn how to cover it up, like like with physical imperfections, we we learn how to cover that up. We wear certain stuff, or we do makeup, or Botox, or plastic surgery, just to hide the imperfections that make us very insecure. But the way that we hide spiritual imperfections is we kind of lie about it. How are you doing? Fine. You know what fine means? Frustrated, insecure, negative, and evasive. That's what fine means when somebody tells you they're doing fine. It's, it's one of those things where, but we feel like if I'm honest with what I'm really going through, I'll get kicked out. We've made it impossible in the church spiritually to be naked because if we're naked, we're afraid. Last week, we, we, we talked about guilt, but this week, when, when I'm talking about what we're dealing with right now, we're not talking about guilt. We're talking about something called shame. And when shame is on the throne of our life, the Savior can't take his place. We, we've got to remove shame so the Savior can be seen in us. And, and last week, I talked about guilt, and this week, we're talking about shame. And, and a lot of people might be asking, aren't they the same? No, 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 no. No, guilt is I did something bad. And, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, spring break, you know, whatever, I did something bad. Shame says I am bad. Big difference. I did something bad is an event. I am bad, that's a feeling that dominates a lot of people in this room. Guilt says I made a mistake. I clearly made a mistake. I'm not going to not... I'm not going to deny that. Shame says I am a mistake. 
And there's people here today or watching online, you think you're a mistake. Maybe you were told that by your mom and dad. You were a mistake. We didn't plan on you. We don't know why you're here. I know why you're here because the creator of the universe determined before time even began that you were going to be here and he had a plan for you. And so I don't know what your parents or your grandparents told you about being a mistake, but you're not a mistake. You were designed on on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose, by the most high God. The person that told you that you're a mistake is wrong. They made a mistake. Let That was a great place to say amen. Just mess that up. Don't feel shame. Guilt says, I didn't do enough. Shame says, I'm not enough. And and you can kind of put a lot of things here. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not enough. That's what shame tells us. And because we deal with shame so much and we try to cover it up, it's probably why we're the most in-debt, overweight, medicated, and addicted society that's ever lived in the history of the world. It's because so many people are trying to compensate for the shame the way we feel right now. And we can't talk about it because we talk about it, get cast aside, put down. There's no way in the church we could be vulnerable because if we're vulnerable, we get kicked out. But that's not the heart of Jesus. I want to talk about a story today in John's gospel. And the reason I love this story is because John didn't hear it from somebody that read it on Facebook, that heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend. John was actually there and saw this happen right in front of him. And it's fascinating. We're going to take a look at John chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 1, where the Bible says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. And I want to pause. The Mount of Olives is absolutely breathtaking. You can stand on the Mount of Olives. You can see the entire city of Jerusalem. It's, I mean, it is unbelievable. I've been up there, I think, 15 times, and every time it takes my breath away. Also, you can ride a camel named Kojak. That's not in the Bible. Um, Kojak is there right now. And some of you know who Kojak is. How many know who Kojak is? Okay, that, we're old. All right, so, no, I'm, I said we're. I didn't say you. I'm not shaming you. So, so verse 2 says, but early the next morning... He was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. Now, this, is, this so far is, is normal. This is normal, and this is what we like. We like normal. This is what you call a normal church service. Jesus would go. He would sit down at the te- temple. People would gather around him. He would start teaching. This is a normal Sunday, and, this is, and, and all of us are used to normal. For example, how many of you here today, right now, be honest, you're in church, you're sitting pretty much in the same seat or the same vicinity that you sit in every week? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That is because you're, I do it too, but I'll see somebody. And I'll be like, missed you at church this week. How'd you know I wasn't there? Fifth row, fourth seat in every week. How you doing? Give me those nucks, right? It's, it, that, that's, that's, that's normal. You know how I know you really love normal? Let somebody borrow your car. And when they bring it back, they don't put the seat back where it was and see how mad you get. I'll cuss somebody, right? Not out loud, just in my mind. Um, because, because I want everything to be normal. Unfortunately, though, in America, church is a perfect place full of perfect people with perfect lives who have perfect ideas. And if you don't fall into the all four categories, if you don't check all four boxes, then you don't belong. 
That's what we've called normal, and that's why so many people are starting to walk away from church is because they're like, I don't have a perfect life. I'm not a perfect person. I'm not sure about my idea. I'm not really sure. And so what's going on in this story, though, so far is everything's getting normal until the church service gets busted up. And it gets busted up by verse 3. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. Caught in the act. Caught in the act. You ever been caught in that? Okay, never mind. Caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Most scholars and theologians believe that this woman would have been completely naked, brought to Jesus. This will bust up a church service. Real quick, naked person gets drug in, church service, I mean, that things are out of control. Like this, they would have, would have probably tased them. Um, but th- this right here is a serious issue. This is, this is what you call shaming. And, and I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure what you do in a situation like this. I, I've got a friend, I was talking to him years ago, and he was, uh, he's the pastor of a really, really large church. Um, in another country, I, I would tell you his name, but nobody would know him. But anyway, he, his church was on television every single week. And, and on the television shot, like the people in the first and second row, they were always in the shot. You guys will be perfectly safe. Um, but they were always in, in, in the television shot. And he said he walked out and he's getting ready to go out and preach. And there's a guy on the front row, a friend, one of the guys that brought him, a visitor, first time visitor. And he had on a t-shirt that said, crazy mother effer. If you don't know what that means, ask your mom and dad on the way home. They'd love to explain it to you. <laughs> G kids, got to get that building built. So anyway, and, and my friend said, you know, he was like, they were playing the music and the guy was dancing around. He said, he was a crazy mom. I mean, he, he was, he fit the t-shirt. And he's like, I didn't know what to do because, because he said the religious side of me was wanted to walk up to him and go, hey, can we get you another t-shirt or can we... Can you please not sit on the front row? He said, but something just kept telling me, leave him alone, just leave him alone, just leave him alone. And at the end of the service, when he gave the invitation, that guy gave his life to Christ. And I'm like, he he told me, he said, I'm so thankful that I did not let my uncomfortability with who he was cause me to throw him out. When it, by the way, just a side note, when will the Christian church stop getting angry at people that don't know Jesus for living like they don't know Jesus. I mean, it doesn't make sense at all. We, I mean, if anybody should understand that, it should be us. But here you got a situation where shaming is clearly taking place. They are shaming this woman. I mean, if anybody has ever been naked and afraid, it's her. But as crazy as it is to believe, this was the beginning of her healing process. Because in order for healing to take place when it comes to shame, you need two things, vulnerability and empathy. Somebody willing enough to be vulnerable and somebody on the other side to say, me too. Now, you know what's really sad? I didn't say this in the last service. It just hit me between services. I had to go to rehab to figure out what that looked like. You know, 
for, for, to sit in a room and say, this is what I'm wrestling with, and somebody else say, me too, the healing that takes place there is unbelievable. Because when you sit in a room and say, this is what I'm dealing with, and somebody goes, stop it, well, that, well that's brilliant. It's the best idea I've ever heard. How? But when you're sitting in a room and saying, this is what I'm wrestling with, and somebody has the courage and the vulnerability to go, I get it. Let's figure this out together. That's where healing can take place. And that's what we're going to see happen in this story and hopefully happen long-term in this church. If you, listen, if you're a perfect person, you should leave today, never come back, because we will screw you up. <laughs> Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? See, see, anytime religious people shame people, they always have a verse. Have you ever noticed that? By the way, anybody that uses a Bible verse to tear you down rather than build you up, stay away from that person. But, but they have a verse. And I want to prove it to you. People still do it today. I remember when I got my first tattoo. How many of you are, have a tattoo somewhere? I don't need to know where. Oh, okay, that's most people. We are a tatted up church. Praise God. That's what we'll do next year for Mother's Day and Father's Day. We'll just get a tattoo artist and we'll just... I said Father's Day in the last service and all the girls were like, what about Mother's Day? I'm like, okay, I'll get you a tattoo too, all right? But I've got two. I've got one on my wrist. I've got one on my forearm, my neck, right here on my forearm. The next one is going to be this part of my forearm. And then the next one is going to be right here. It's going to be a lion. I can't, I can't wait. And, and I know what some of you are thinking. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Tattoos, tattoos. The Bible says you shouldn't have a tattoo. How many of you caught hell because you got a tattoo and somebody was coming at you with a Bible verse sideways? All right. Okay. The Bible does say something about tattoos. In the book of Leviticus. By the way, this is a side note. When Leviticus is your only source, <sighs> do not cut your bodies for the dead and do not mark your skin with tattoos. I am the Lord. It does say that in Leviticus. Chapter 19, verse 28. But the book of Leviticus was written to a tribe in Israel called Levi, one of the 12 tribes. So you got to keep that in mind. The other thing you got to keep in mind is people got tattoos as a mark of pagan worship. I don't think anybody with a tattoo in here were worshiping a false god. I think you just thought, oh, cool, a butterfly. Um, and you got it kind of tattooed. Well, I, I'm not judging butterflies, all right? I'm just saying... The Bible does say this, but it's a different context. And by the way, if you want to go strictly Leviticus, we can go there. Because the verse right before us is, do not trim off the hair of your temples or, or, or trim your beards. For those of you men that have a beard trimmer, you're going to hell. <laughs> Enjoy the rod. It says later on in Leviticus chapter 19 that you should not wear clothes made of two different types of cloth. So for those of you that are wearing a nice cotton poly blend. You're on the Hell Express too, baby. <laughs> I mean, when the goal is to tear down rather than build up, we have a problem. And they brought this woman in front of Jesus 
to tear her down and ultimately to tear him down. But Jesus is so brilliant. I love this. John 8, 6. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. Because if he said stoner, then all the people were like, oh, well, you just believe like them. And if he says don't kill her, they're like, oh, you don't believe the Bible. But Jesus is brilliant because he's Jesus. So he stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. I've always wondered which finger he used. <laughs> it's just a thought. It's just stuff I think about when I read the Bible. Now, when you look at this, it, have, you ever, have you ever seen it? Have you, you know those 3D puzzles that you see stuff, but it's, it's there, but it's not really there, and you, you got to stare at it for a long time, and you see it, or maybe you can't see it? I got a friend of mine that looked this up. He said that there is a panda on this thing. No, there's not. Shut. No, no, there's not a panda. There's not a panda. People that, how many of you see a panda? And we're going to give an invitation today. And I think it's a conspiracy. Do y'all see a panda? Zelvin, did you see a panda? Do you see a panda? Do you see a panda? No, I'm, no, I'm not a panda. Like, but not, but. You see a panda? I have, I've looked at it. I've crossed my eyes. I'm about to pass out. I, does the panda move? Uh, you got to stare at it, don't you? Okay, stop it. I have never seen one of those. I, I guess it just means I'm an idiot. I don't, I've never seen one. Never. Never. I've stared at it. I've crossed my eyes. And, and they say this with a magazine. They're like, if you got to pull it, pull it in. And like, I've walked by people. I'm like, you look completely stupid. There's not a panda in the mag- I mean, but, but some people say they're it. But for me, for me, that's how scripture is. Sometimes you got to stare at it and stare at it and stare at it. And, so, and it comes more and more and more alive. So I'll start thinking about that John 8, 6. And I really began to understand this. One of the times when I was over there and one of the gods was teaching us, and he pointed out that let's say this screen is the woman, and Jesus, the very first thing he does, the Bible says, is he stooped down. So he takes the position of humility. He didn't stand over her. He stooped down. And then he takes his finger and he writes in the dust. Now what's important about this is it took place in the temple area. And the dust isn't what's important. What was under the dust was marble. It was stone. So he was really putting his finger on the stone. Now, what's so powerful about this, what's so powerful about this is there's another instance of finger to stone taking place in the scriptures. It's found in Exodus chapter 31, verse 18. The Bible says, when the Lord finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant written by the finger of God. So here you've got Jesus in a position of humility, finger to stone saying, I am God, but he's not, 
he's not focused on condemnation. Because this lady was naked and afraid. And Jesus empathized with her because when he was crucified, he too was naked and afraid. Now, some people push back there and they go, well, Jesus was never afraid, really. Why in Matthew 26 did he pull his friends aside and say, pray with me because my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death and then go on to say, Father, please take this cup away from me. Why would you pray that if you didn't want to go through it? See, Jesus was fully God. He was fully man too. And he, he could identify with this woman. And guess what? No matter what your shame is today, he can identify with you too. Because at the, at the end of the day, his heart is not condemnation, but restoration. Jesus does not want to stand over you and point out what a horrible person you are. Jesus wants to restore you to the person that God created you to be. And one of the ways he wants to do that is removing shame from the center of your life. Now, I love this because they kept demanding an answer because shame is persistent. Shame will keep coming after you over and over and over again. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up. Notice when he addresses the religious crowd, he stands up and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Notice the exclamation point. He didn't say this. He, he, he shouted it. See, Jesus is, Jesus is really quick to defend those that the religious people are trying to shame out of existence. He, he, he shouts, and then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. <laughs> shame, will cause us, shame will cause us to run from things we're actually called to. I remember uh, years ago, years ago, we have a place in Anderson called the Duck Pond or Cater's Lake. Um, but people have asked, why do y'all call it the Duck Pond? I'm like, well... There's a pine, and there's some ducks, and that's how we roll in Anderson. We just call it what it is. So I, I used to try to figure out what to do with my, my daughter, did, did the Saturday dates, and I remember she was like barely a year old or whatever, so I take her to the duck pond one day because we were going to like throw bread out and feed the ducks, right? But also at the duck pond are geese, and geese are demon-possessed. And so, <laughs> no, seriously, those little things are mean. And they'll walk up to you and they'll hiss or whatever. And so we're throwing. And, and ducks are nice. The ducks are cool. The ducks are like awesome. And so we're throwing some bread at the ducks and they're so happy. And all of a sudden this goose comes in and um, the demon thing comes in and it's hissing at me. And as it got closer, I kind of lost my frame of mind. I'm holding my daughter. The goal is to protect the girl, right? And so I turn around and I'm running and this stupid goose is chasing me. <laughs> I'm not making this up, around the duck pond. And then finally, it just hit me. I'm running from a freaking goose. So I turned around. I did. I did. I turned around. I looked at it. I said, in the name of Jesus, I will punt you. And, and I would have. And I know there's some animal, right? Oh, the poor goose. You know what? It chased the wrong man. That's all I can tell you. Because I would have punted this freaking goose. And 
I was just thinking about that the other day when I was driving by the duck pond because it, it caused me to think about this message. You know what? Some of us are running from things that we actually have power over. We are running from things that we actually have power over. In Christ, we have power over guilt and we have power over shame. And what's going on inside of you right now is not greater than the God who reigns and and the one who sent his son Jesus to pay for that sin. So if you are living today in shame, that's not God's will for us to say, I can't let people see who I really am. I've got to hide I've got to be fake because if people really knew me, they wouldn't love me. That's not life. To be loved, to be fully loved, is to be fully known. It's a period. If people really knew me, they wouldn't love me. But Jesus does. Knows everything about us. Loves us anyway. I love the fact that when he's talked to the religious leaders, he stood up, but then he stooped back down and he rode in the dust again. So John tells us, when the accusers heard this, stop for a second, stop the accusers. Accusers, in the Bible, Satan, if you translate it, means accuser. I love that little subtlety that John throws in there. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away, slipped away, one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. You know, back to the naked and afraid conversation that we were having at the table a few weeks ago. People just started throwing out numbers going, would you do it for this much? Would you do it for this much? Would you do it for this much? And finally somebody said, Peter, would you do it for $10 million? I was like, heck yeah. $10 million, I am in. I am naked and I am not afraid with $10 million. And, I, and some, some idiot goes, you've got to pay taxes on it. I'll pay the 48%, still have 5.2. Hello, thank you. I did the math. Yeah, I'd do it. I'd do it. Because $10 million? $10 million? I could get past my insecurities for $10 million because that's a real high price. Would you agree, yes or no? Jesus paid a much higher price for us. And he paid too high a price for us to live our lives in the shadows, ashamed of who we are. Shame is not God's will for our lives. Vulnerability and transparency is. That's why I love it when he said to this woman, nobody left to accuse you. She said, no, Lord, she got that right. And Jesus said, neither do I. Watch this. Go and sin no more. Now, a lot of people think when Jesus said that, he's got his fingers like, go and sin no more. But that's not the Jesus that we see in the scriptures. I think he said it with a smile on his face. Because it's not like he thought that she would never sin again. What he's basically saying to her is, you know what? You don't have to live like this anymore. He restored her to God and he restored her to the community 
that was in front expecting condemnation and he gives her restoration. And the same thing that Jesus did for this woman, he wants to do for us. Listen, when I started this church, I didn't start this church for perfect people that have their lives together. I remember talking to a dude and him telling me, I don't know if I like the name of your church. I'm like, why not? He goes, a lot of people aren't going to come just because of the name. And I'm like, you know what? There's plenty of churches for those people. I want people who know they need a second chance. And if this is you here today, I, this is not a pretty place full of perfect people with perfect lives. If you walked in these doors broken, you can walk out with stepping into the process of healing just like this lady did. Every single week, I give an invitation and I talk about the care room. The care room is a place where at the end of the service, if you want somebody to pray with you or for you, that's, a, that's an environment we've created for you. You can step out and walk out the back doors as people are praying. And you know what you're going to get back there? Somebody that looks at you, nods their head, says, me too, and prays with you or prays for you. But the power of shame is broken when we're willing to be vulnerable and say, I'm not in a good place. I need some help. And if that's you, I want today to be the beginning of that process. So can we stand for closing prayer? Father, thank you so much that your grace is greater than our shame. Father, I pray for every person here in the room or watching online. God, this wrestling, God, was something, but they feel like they can't tell anyone. And silence is stealing the joy that you've created for us to have. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you're really wrestling with something, and you're like, I, I need for this, this thing to be broken in my life. Then right now, without even looking around, I want you to step out of your aisle and walk out the back doors of this room. Because we've got care room volunteers back there. And they'll meet you. They would love to pray with you or pray for you. I want you to go right now. People have already moved. And so you go ahead. You feel that freedom because I want shame to, I want shame to be unshackled in your life. You go right now. This is a safe place to admit you're not okay. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, you've never asked Jesus to come into your life, listen, that's the first step toward freedom. If you're here today and you want to pray to receive Christ and you never have prayed, maybe you've been here several weeks and you've heard this prayer at the end of the service, but you've never said it, then right where you are, I want you, if you want to pray to receive Christ, then you can right now. I want you to pray this prayer in your heart if this is you. You need to say, Jesus Christ, I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave to pay for my sins. And right now, Jesus, I receive you into my life. Take over. In your name I pray. With head still bowed and eyes still closed, if you just prayed, 
to receive Christ in this room or online, I want you to put up your hand. I just want you to leave it up because I want to pray for you. That's, oh, that's awesome. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven in the room online. If you pray to receive Christ, you can just put up the hand. Father, thank you so much for these hands. Thank you so much for these individuals who have prayed to receive you. Father, I pray that you would encourage them. Father, that you would fill them with hope. You would fill them with joy. You would fill them with peace. You would fill them with encouragement. They would know, Jesus, that today is the day they gave their life to you. And Jesus, you will never turn away those who come to you. Thank you, Jesus, that you have set us free from the shackles of shame. May we live this week like we belong to you. Everybody that agreed said, Amen. Hey, listen, you only need to come next week if you've ever been angry or bitter at another person. If you've never been angry or bitter, then you don't need to show up. But for those, the rest of us, that's what we're talking about next week. Y'all have a great Sunday. God bless.